been studying for some time now out of the book of Mark, and we're studying this evening in Mark chapter number 3, and we're looking at uh, treasures from the book of Mark. So we want to begin reading in Mark chapter 3, and in verse number 3, we're continuing our study of this list of disciples. Somehow we got stuck and hung up on that, and I cannot get away from it. And uh, there's so much in the Word of God, it's just inexhaustible about these men, these common, ordinary men that the Lord Jesus Christ called with His purpose uh, that they might go out and, after they got saved, that they might be entrusted with the truth and that they might go out and preach and help others that they might be saved as well. We pick up Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain... And calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, that that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. He surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot which also betrayed him and they went into a house. We've preached through Simon, James, John, Andrew, that first group, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, that second group. And tonight we begin on the third group of disciples and you'll see them grouped this way throughout the word of God. The leader of the group is always the same. Whether you turn to the book of Matthew chapter 10 or whether you turn to Luke chapter 6 or where we are in Mark or the book of Acts chapter 1, you'll see Simon Peter is first. You're going to find that Philip is going to be fifth and you're always going to find that James the son of Alphaeus is always going to be listed not. He is the leader of the third group. Tonight, we want to preach on this thought. James, the least of the disciples. James, the least of the disciples. Now, these men are summoned to serve Jesus. We read about it in verse 13. He's called them whom he would. They had free will. They had choice. They had a decision to make. And the Bible says in verse 13, And they came unto unto him. And the Bible says that the Lord began to take them, He ordained them, and they should be with Him, and He sent them forth that they might preach. Each one of these men has a divine purpose. They all have a divine calling. And they're all different. They have personalities that are different. Some are outspoken. Some are soft-spoken. Some have um, traits where they're very task-oriented, and some have traits where they're very people-oriented. All these disciples have different passions, different gifts, different abilities, just like you and I tonight come in the house of God. We're all different. Who is it that caused us to differ? It is God. A lot of times we fuss and fight because of differences, but differences was were God-ordained. The things that hold us together, the things that weld us together is the mutual commitment we have to Jesus Christ. That's what brings us together. He has, his blood has made us one. Longfellow, the great poet, 
he could take a worthless piece of paper and he could write a poem on top of it and instantly that piece of paper is worth thousands of dollars and it's called genius. A mechanic can take, can take a piece of material that just cost a few cents and put it on your car and make it worth hundreds of dollars and it's called skill. An artist can take a 50 cent piece of canvas, put a beautiful picture on it, sign his name and make it worth thousands of dollars and it's called art. But only Jesus can take a worthless, sinful life, wash them in his blood, put his spirit inside them and do that which is priceless and it's called redemption. God is able to redeem these common, everyday, ordinary, rough, raw, rugged men and use them for His glory. And I am persuaded He can do that for us as well. God takes raw material all the time and transforms it into His glory by His power to be His extension of work upon this earth. And when I look around tonight, when I see you, I'm seeing the grace of God. And when you're looking at me, you're seeing the grace of God at work. I'm not perfect yet. I've got a big sign around my neck. You ought to look for it. It's orange. It says, he's still under construction. God's not through with me yet. But one day, the finished product will be in view if you'll go to heaven with me. Amen. Tonight, when we study about James, the least of the disciples, I think there are three things tonight that bear witness. First of all, there is the mention of his name in the report. You look again at verse number 18, there it is. James, the son of Alphaeus. As we look at him, he is the second James in the list. There is James, the brother of John, and then there is James, the son of Alphaeus. There are two Jameses in the group of disciples. This is not the James that wrote the book of James. That was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ that got saved and wrote the book of James. Amen. And this James is known as, as, uh, as the leader of the third group. He is always serving in the same place. Uh, we've talked in the last few weeks that some of these disciples, they're very interchangeable. They, they are men that wore different hats. They, they could do this, they could do this, but not, not this man. He is not interchangeable, although he is stable. He is reliable. He is constant. He's someone you can count on to always be in the same place. You look at Matthew 10, he's listed ninth. You look at Mark 3, he's listed ninth. You look at Luke 6, he's ninth. Acts chapter 1, he's ninth. He's always in the same place. The number nine is an interesting number. As a math teacher, nine always comes back to nine. Nine times one is nine. That always comes back to nine. Nine times two is 18. What's 1 plus 8? 9. Amen. What's 9 times 3? 27. What's the digits? Add them together. 2 and 7 is 9. What about 9 times 4? It's 36. 3 and 6 is 9. 9 times 5? 9 times 6. You go on and on and you'll always see that it always comes back to 9. Here is James. This is no mistake. This is no accident. This is not just some accident that happened here. It's not circumstance. He is always in the same place. There are people in your life that you and I need to count on to always be in the same place. He's always there to pull his load, amen. I'm glad there are people, will y'all hear me? I'm glad there are people in this church 
that are dedicated, always in the same place, to open this building and to close this building. They don't have the option of being late. They don't have the option of laying out. They're counted on to open and close this building. There are people that sit right back here that run the sound system so that we can go back in here if the preacher said something dumb or if he's trying to send a message over to Zimbabwe that somebody might listen online. There are men that, and women that work in the sound booth. They don't have the option of being late. They're here on time. You can count on them. They're always in the same place. Thank God for that. I want to ask you the question, are you the type person that can be counted on? Are you an interchangeable person? Are you dynamic or are you just always going to be in the same place? For me, James stands out because he's, I'm going to say a word here and it's not a bad word. So just go ahead and batten down the hatches. Here it is. He's committed. Nowadays, nobody wants to commit. I could have a sign-up sheet back here and used to, man, used to people get in line. They'd fight each other for the pen to be first or second or third on the list. But nowadays, it's like you want to keep your options open just in case anything else happens to come up. Let somebody else take care of it. I don't want to commit. And not only do we see, and it's happening everywhere, not only do we see people who no longer to want to commit within the church, but there are people who do not want to commit to attend the church. That church is just optional. Sometime back, you got mad at our governor because he, he acted like church was not essential. And people got mad. But the problem is, you and I are the ones that caused ourselves to become non-essential and put the idea in his head. Because we got to where we think church is optional. It's optional. If it's, a, if it's convenient for, more, for me, I'm telling you, James was not that away. James, you could count on him. He was stable. He was reliable. He was consistent, amen. Some people, it's amazing, they bounce around from church to church, ministry to ministry, and they're always on the move. Not James, he's anchored. James is unmovable. It doesn't matter if he doesn't get any attention or not. He doesn't need a phone call from the preacher. He doesn't need a text from the preacher. He doesn't need a handshake from the preacher. He doesn't need a smile or a card from the preacher. He doesn't need someone to check on him 24-7. He's stable. Thank God for someone who is committed and is stable. He just showed up every day for his assignment with a great determination. Let me say this about James. He's not the biggest. He's not the most outspoken. He's not the smartest. He's probably not the most reasonable. But I'll tell you what he was. He's committed. Thank God for it. You can count on him. Hold your place here in Mark. We're going to turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I hope I've said something tonight that might challenge you to be committed, committed, to where people can count on you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you're turning there. There was a man many years ago, a very wealthy man. He told the little rundown church that, that was gathered in a little rundown, it was a good church, but gathered in a little rundown building. He said, I want to donate y'all a brand new building. And he built them this ornate place, beautiful windows, beautiful choir loft, beautiful pulpit, nice 
rows with, with, with pews padded that you could sit in. But the preacher was a little confused as they got there to dedicate that there was no lights in the building. And the builder said, well, he said, usually when people come, they have to walk to church, they carry their lantern, and I'm hoping that when you get here, you just hang your lantern on the wall, and that way your place would be lit up. If tonight you was to bring your light with you when you came to Bethel, and you was counting on you to light the place up, how dark would it really be? I didn't say how light would it be. How shady would it be? Would we have a bright place here, there, and yonder? We didn't like that, did you? First Corinthians 15. My preacher, Dad, I'm here on Wednesday night. Don't bark at me. You might be challenged to get out by next week. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Christian walk demands steadfastness, faithfulness, consistency. I would hope that one day that my children would say, would say something about you, Daddy. I hope they'd say, he loved the Lord. He loved the people, but he was faithful. He was faithful to teach us the Word of God. He was faithful to preach the Word of God. He was faithful to the house of God. Let me tell you something. My daddy taught me that. And his daddy taught him that. What are we teaching our children when it comes to church? That it's optional? That it's non-essential? Y'all ought to be backing me better than this. Amen? We need to be steadfast in the work of the Lord. And so when I think about James the less, I see the mention of his name in the report. The word of God being the report, the record says that he is stable, always in the same place. Preacher Darren, you got that out of that? No, I didn't, but the Holy Ghost give it to me, amen. And then there's the second one that I see from the text. Now, we've been reading Mark chapter 3 and verse number 18. Let's move forward in the book of Mark and let's go to chapter 15. I feel preaching stern. Mark chapter 15, verse number 40. I want to see the manifestation of his review. Now we're going to review something here about James. And as I started reading it, and it broke me down. And it helped me so much. When I read the book of Mark, help me Lord, chapter 15 and verse number 40, we're reading about the crucifixion of our Lord you can read in verse 37 that in that verse he cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost and the bell of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The centurion, he was standing over from it and he said, Truly this man is the Son of God. We look at verse 40. There were also women looking on afar off among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph and Salome. I'll just stop reading there. His mother, her name is mentioned as one that was at the cross when the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life. The Bible says that she was the mother of James the less. This is the disciple 
James, the son of Alphaeus, is the same as James the less. I'm going to talk just a little bit about his manifestation. How do we see him? What do we know about him from this statement that he's called James um, the less? The word is micros, and it's, it's Greek. It's where we get our word micro for microwave, something that is small, something that is little, the word for less. What does it mean, Preacher Darren? Well, I've got some questions. Could it mean that he is small in stature, that he is small in size? Maybe physically he is uh, small framed, if, you, if I could say it like that. Maybe uh, you may know someone that you call uh, Little James, right? Maybe in the family. I mean, I, I've, I used to work with some some young men, I was the boss, and they worked for me, and one of the men's name, he had a great name, his name was Darren. But they would get us confused between Darren and Darren. We worked together, and so they called him Little D because he was younger than me and because he was shorter than me. And, and so because of his stature, if you're watching Little D, hello, they called him Little D because of his stature. So the word is makros. It could mean he's less in age, less by birth. He is younger. Just imagine in the group of disciples there are two Jameses. Simon Peter says, hey, James. They both turn around. Boys, this ain't going to work. So I'll tell you what, we're going to name you James the Less. Preacher Dan, that's going to make me mad. Well, James the Less means that he was maybe he was shorter or maybe he was younger. You ever thought about that? James and John, the sons of thunder, were outspoken. They were loud and boisterous. This is a younger man, a quieter man. So maybe it means he's less in influence. Maybe he's not so outspoken. Maybe his role amongst the disciples, though it's important, he's not as vital as the fireball that James was. Maybe he is influence is smaller. Maybe he doesn't have the broad reaching impact that James the son of thunder does. I, I do believe that this young man was mostly in the background. You don't really read in the Bible where he preached, but I know he did. You, you don't re read in the Bible where he had really anything to say. I know he did. I, I don't even see where he really even asked a question. I've read to you the places in the Bible already that we know about James the lesson. There are these passages in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, and then right here in Mark chapter number 15. And yet somehow he is marked by obscurity. And that helped me. It helped me so much. I think it speaks of me. Because I feel lesser in stature than other preachers. I have lesser preaching skills than a lot of preachers. I know I have lesser singing skills than anybody in this church. I have lesser people skills. I'm not an outgoing person necessarily. You may say, Preacher Darren, you're up there. Honey, used to when I was in school, I wouldn't give a book report. I'm lesser in ability than many others. I'm less in perception, less in understanding, less in obedience, less in speaking skills. I'm lesser in maturity. I'm lesser in my social influence. I'm, le I'm lesser in my professional influence. I, I'm just awkward a lot of times. I'm lesser in my spiritual influence. I'm, 
lesser in leadership I hear constantly. If we really had a preacher out there just pushing, no telling what would happen, but it's because I'm just lesser and I can't help it. But his profile encourages me. I have many deficiencies. I am lesser. Y'all can have someone much greater. I am so insignificant. But this is what I know. I know I'm less, but in the eyes of God, I am no less than the greatest. God sees me all the same as he sees all these big-time preachers that run around. God sees us all the same. And I just got to thinking there how that so often God's plan that he will do greater with lesser. When I came to this church, God spoke to me and said, you take the less, I'll be the more. I left a good job. I left a lot of money behind. Some people, I mean, my own family said, I would never do that. You're absolutely crazy. But the difference is God didn't ask them to do it. He asked me to do it. And he said, you take the lesser, I'll be the greater. And it's been the story of my walk with God is to be the lesser. I turn over to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Pardon me. I'm about to get tore up. When I read out of 1 Samuel chapter 16, I read about a king by the name of Saul. Saul was a rebellious king. He's a prideful king. And for his pride, God rejected him. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse number 1, the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. You remember the story? Israel said, we want a king. God said, I'm your king. They said, we want a flesh king. They picked Saul because he was bigger. And because he was more handsome, he was a head taller, more than everybody else. And he turned out to be a total failure. And God said, I'm going to provide myself a king, and I've done so. Samuel, take a horn of oil and go down to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, not the big city, but go to Bethlehem, a place of obscurity, nowheresville. Go there. I want you to go down to Jesse's house. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he'll kill me. Well, that's true. The Lord said, take a heifer with me and say I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. He's going to. And call Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show thee what thou shalt do. Thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? I mean, can you imagine? Here comes the man of God to your town and the whole place starts to quaking and is shaking. That's the judge. That's the preacher. That's the prophet. What business does he have here? Boys, this can't be good. Samuel did that with the, uh, uh, verse, verse number five. He said, peaceably, I come peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons 
and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab or Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I'm telling you, Samuel saw Eliab, the oldest of Jesse's boys, the tallest, the biggest, the, uh, the strongest, and surely Samuel the man of God said, That's him. I've come to this low-down place of obscurity in Bethlehem and to lowly Jesse's house, and I know that Eliab is the one God's called me here for. Verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord, the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. I want to take time out and just say, Woo, thank God for that. Been preaching for weeks on vision. And as I was preaching, these, these, these messages just collided for me this week as I was studying. The Lord doesn't see as a man sees. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, that's the second, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Now we'll say, time out, this just make an observation. When he saw Eliab, he thought, surely that's him. God said, I don't see as you see. You look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. I've refused him. Keep looking. We have got to learn to see as the Lord sees. We need to have the vision that the Lord allows us to see. Well, preacher Darren, it's impossible. Cause the next son to pass before me. Abinadab walks out. The Lord didn't say a word. Samuel said, neither. Look at it. Samuel said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. That was Samuel. Samuel started seeing as God saw. Do you see that? What about that? It is possible then. That God could open our eyes and do a miracle and cause us to see as he sees. Then Jesse made Shammah, the third one, to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Je Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. He seeing as God sees. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? He scratched his head and said, I don't understand it. God's not moved on me. God's not showed me who it's supposed to be. Is this all your children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. Wait, wait a minute. The youngest. The lesser. Right? We talked about the word lesser. It could mean in stature. It could mean in age. It could mean in influence. It could mean in ability. He Look, Jesse didn't even call him by name. Here's Eliab, here's Abinadab, here's Shammah. But when we were looking for David, he said, there's another one. Read it. He's the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come thither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to, 
And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. God chose the lesser to do the greater. It's this little boy that God would use to slay the giant. It's this little boy that God would use to write the Psalms, the great psalmist of Israel. It's this little boy that God would use to be king over all of Israel. Oh, but preacher Darren, we know what David did. Forget that for a minute because God forgave him. You can read it in the book of Acts. We won't turn there, but I'm going to give you the verse. Chapter 13, verse 22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. God said, I'm looking for a man after mine own heart, and that begins with the lesser. Amen. Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. All his brothers had to stand there and watch. Little old David the lesser be anointed as the king of Israel. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David would go on to write in Psalm 136 verse 23. That God has remembered our low estate. Low estate. God remembered that we are but lessers. I would remind you, when God was looking to send His Son to this earth, He went down to a lowly virgin girl by the name of Mary. She was lowly, insignificant as the world would see her. There's nothing great about her. Listen what she said in Luke 148. For He hath regarded the low estate of his handmaid. What about the low estate? God was going to do something great, and he started with the lesser. Whew, amen. I begin to think about Apostle Paul. Remember him? Apostle Paul, his name originally was Saul, named after King Saul. Prideful. He's a Jew of the Jews. He's got the best teaching, the best training He's got the very best of everything. The name reeks of pride. And one day, the, he met the Lord on the Damascus Road as he was going with letters to arrest Christians. And the Lord said his name, Saul, once, Saul, twice. What, why persecutest thou me? And in the Damascus dirt, he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Why kickest thee against the pricks? In other words, Saul humbled himself and he called on the Lord and he got saved that day. And we come to the book of Acts, chapter number 13, and his name was changed to Paul. You know what Paul means? Little. He went from being prideful and big and a Hebrew of the Hebrews to little. Listen what he said. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I am the least, what the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle. Ephesians 3.8 Unto me who am, le who am less than least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach. 1 Timothy 1.15 Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
what Paul is saying, I'm a nobody, telling everybody about somebody that will save anybody. And it begins with the less. While, while you have your Bible, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read about how God uh, plans to do greater with the lesser. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your call. Now he's writing to the Corinthian church who had very humble beginnings but have got lifted up in pride so much that by 2 Corinthians, they don't even want Paul to come back. That he's got to come back with letters of recommendation. And he founded the church. Listen what he says to this church that needs to be, that's got lifted up in pride. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You are not self-called. You are not self-saved. You are not self-appointed. Remember who you were when he saved you. A sinner in need of salvation. A sinner who would have never made to heaven were it not for the good grace of God that found you. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him... But of him, of who? Of him are ye in Christ Jesus. The only reason you got in is because of Jesus Christ. Who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. A direct quote from the book of Jeremiah. Do you see? The manifestation that is under review here. When we see James the lesser, we are seeing his stature. And we may laugh at him, but the truth of the matter is, God called him, God chose him with a specific purpose and plan in mind. Preacher, did you get all that? The Holy Ghost, give it to me. I have a third point, I believe, and to be quick. Back to the book of Mark. Chapter 15, the book of Mark, chapter 15. And we were reading about those women that were looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and of Joseph and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. I want you to see thirdly, and this will be quick, James's mission is revealed. You see, as the Lord had his disciples, he's arrested, arraigned, brought to the cross where the king would be assassinated. The only problem is they couldn't kill him. He laid down his life. No one took it from him. 
all of his disciples, with the exception of John, bailed and ran. Every single one of them, even Mr. Committed, even Mr. Who's Always Here, now he's not. He is gone. But his mama's still there. His mama taught him about faithfulness. His mama, his parents taught him about commitment, taught him to give all. To, listen this, this, here's my thought. He is all in. Look with me in chapter 16. When the Sabbath, verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Guess who saw Jesus die on the cross? Guess who saw an empty tomb? His mother. And don't you know, bless God, she went home and told him, James, little James, come here, son. I want to give you a good talking to that Jesus that you've been following, that Jesus that saved you and turned your life around, that gave his life on the cross, he is alive, the tomb is empty. You need to gather up there in the empty room, in the upper room, amen. And on Sunday evening, Jesus come walking through locked doors and he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And from that point, old James the Less was all in. He was committed Faithful all the way. Here's my thought and I'm done. You can, Bethel, be too big for God to use. But you'll never be too small. Woo! Man, he blew through that study of mine just yesterday. And he said, you can be too big, but you'll never be too small. When I was laying out all my deficiencies, and man, I was about ready to have a pity party, and God said, those are attributes, those are blessings. You can be too big, boy, but you'll never be too small for me. Well, thank God for that, amen. I can remember sometimes here in the church on a Sunday morning, a little child coming up and saying, I want to sing, Jesus loves me. 450, 500 people here in a congregation, trying to get on with them, got things to do, got to preach a message, feel that of God. And the little child says, I want to sing today. Hey, you can be too big for God to use, but you'll never be too small, amen. Let that young and sing. And I'm telling you, it lit this place up like a Christmas tree, amen. I'm telling you, honey, we need to humble ourselves. We need to get back to being less again. You need to be learning to be less than the least. Amen? You stand to your feet. Father, I thank you tonight for the word of God. And Father, when I look at my weakness and my inability and my just my tendencies, Lord, Lord, I look and say, why would you ever save me? And on top of that, why would you ever call me to stand up? Lord, I'm just telling you tonight, I'm confess this is not my idea. It was, I did not go into this as a career. But God, you called me. You came by and called me. And Lord, what little I am, I am by the grace of God what I am. And Lord, I pray 
that God, you'd use us. God, you know my heart tonight. I'm crying out for you tonight, God. Would you fill this old boy with the glory and the spirit of Almighty God? And Lord, let this little one who's less make much of Jesus. God, would you use the ministry at the Bethel Baptist Church? I mean, when I compare it to these big ministries around the state or the southeast, God, we are nothing. But God, you can use us for your glory. Help us, Lord, I pray, to be effectively used in the world, in the realm in which you placed us, God. And for this, I pray. And help us to be faithful. Help us to be determined. I'm going to be faithful. Help us then, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.